part one chapter fourteen of a key to uncle tom's cabin by harriet beecher stowe this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by michelle fry baton rouge louisiana chapter fourteen the spirit of st clair the general tone of the press and of the community in the slave states so far as it has been made known at the north has been loudly condemnatory of the representations of uncle tom's cabin still it would be unjust to the character of the south to refuse to acknowledge that she has many sons with candor enough to perceive and courage enough to avow the evils of her peculiar institutions the manly independence exhibited by these men in communities where popular sentiment rules despotically either by law or in spite of law should be duly honored the sympathy of such minds as these is a high encouragement to philanthropic effort the author inserts a few testimonials from southern men not without some pride in being thus kindly judged by those who might have been naturally expected to read her book with prejudice against it the jefferson inquirer published at jefferson city missouri october twenty third eighteen fifty two contains the following communication uncle tom's cabin i have lately read this celebrated book which perhaps has gone through more editions and been sold in greater numbers than any work from the american press in the same length of time it is a work of high literary finish and its several characters are drawn with great power and truthfulness although like the characters in most novels and works of fiction in some instances too highly colored there is no attack on slaveholders as such but on the contrary many of them are represented as highly noble generous humane and benevolent nor is there any attack upon them as a class it sets forth many of the evils of slavery as an institution established by law but without charging these evils on those who hold the slaves and seems fully to appreciate the difficulties in finding a remedy its effect upon the slaveholder is to make him a kinder and better master to which none can object this is said without any intention to endorse everything contained in the book or indeed in any novel or work of fiction but if i mistake not there are few excepting those who are greatly prejudiced that will rise from a perusal of the book without being a truer and better christian and a more humane and benevolent man as a slaveholder i do not feel the least aggrieved how mrs stowe the authoress has obtained her extremely accurate knowledge of the negroes their character dialect habits etc is beyond my comprehension as she never resided it appears from the preface in a slave state or among slaves or negroes but they are certainly admirably delineated the book is highly interesting and amusing and will afford a rich treat to its reader thomas jefferson the opinion of the editor himself is given in these words uncle tom's cabin well like a good portion of the world and the rest of mankind we have read the book of mrs stowe bearing the above title from numerous statements newspaper paragraphs and rumors we suppose the book was all that fanaticism and heresy could invent and were therefore greatly prejudiced against it but on reading it we cannot refrain from saying that it is a work of more than ordinary moral worth and is entitled to consideration 
we do not regard it as a corruption of moral sentiment and a gross libel on a portion of our people the authoress seems disposed to treat the subject fairly though in some particulars the scenes are too highly coloured and too strongly drawn from the imagination the book however may lead its readers at a distance to misapprehend some of the general and better features of southern life as it is which by the way we as an individual prefer to northern life yet it is a perfect mirror of several classes of people we have in our mind's eye who are not free from all the ills flesh is heir to it has been feared that the book would result in injury to the slaveholding interests of the country but we apprehend no such thing and hesitate not to recommend it to the perusal of our friends and the public generally mrs stowe has exhibited a knowledge of many peculiarities of southern society which is really wonderful when we consider that she is a northern lady by birth and residence we hope then before our friends form any harsh opinions of the merits of uncle tom's cabin and make up any judgment against us for pronouncing in its favour barring some objections to it that they will give it a careful perusal and in so speaking we may say that we yield to no man in his devotion to southern rights and interests the editor of the st louis missouri battery pronounces the following judgment we took up this work a few evenings since with just such prejudices against it as we presume many others have commenced reading it we have been so much in contact with ultra-abolitionists, have had so much evidence that their benevolence was much more hatred for the master than love for the slave, accompanied with a profound ignorance of the circumstances surrounding both, and a most consummate supreme disgust for the whole Negro race, that we had about concluded that anything but rant and nonsense was out of the question from a northern writer upon the subject of slavery mrs stowe in these delineations of life among the lowly has convinced us to the contrary she brings to the discussion of her subject a perfectly cool calculating judgment a wide all-comprehending intellectual vision and a deep warm sea-like woman's soul over all of which is flung a perfect iris-like imagination which makes the light of her pictures stronger and more beautiful as their shades are darker and terror-striking we do not wonder that the copy before us is of the seventieth thousand and seventy thousand more will not supply the demand or we mistake the appreciation of the american people of the real merits of literary productions mrs stowe has in uncle tom's cabin set up for herself a monument more enduring than marble it will stand amid the wastes of slavery as memnon stands amid the sands of the african desert telling both the white man and the negro of the approach of morning the book is not an abolitionist work in the offensive sense of the word it is as we have intimated free from everything like fanaticism no matter what amount of enthusiasm vivifies every page and runs like electricity along every thread of the story it presents at one view the excellencies and the evils of the system of slavery and breathes the true spirit of christian benevolence for the slave and charity for the master the next witness gives his testimony in a letter to the new york evening post light in the south the subjoined communication comes to us postmarked new orleans june nineteenth eighteen fifty two 
i have just been reading uncle tom's cabin or scenes in lowly life by mrs harriet beecher stowe it found its way to me through the channel of a young student who purchased it at the north to read on his homeward passage to new orleans he was entirely unacquainted with its character he was attracted by its title supposed it might amuse him while travelling through his family it was shown to me as something that i would probably like i looked at the author's name and said oh yes anything from that lady i will read otherwise i should have disregarded a work of fiction with such a title the remarks from persons present were that it was a most amusing work and the scenes most admirably drawn to life i accepted the offer of a perusal of it and brought it home with me although i have not read every sentence i have looked over the whole of it and i now wish to bear my testimony to its delineation of the position that the slave occupies colorings in the work there are but no colorings of the actual and real position of the slave worse than really exist whippings to death do occur i know it to be so painful separations of master and slave under circumstances creditable to the master's feelings of humanity do also occur i know that too many families after having brought up their children in entire dependence on slaves to do everything for them and after having been indulged in elegances and luxuries have exhausted all their means and the black people only being left whom they must sell for further support running away everybody knows is the worst crime a slave can commit in the eyes of his master except it be a humane master and from such few slaves care to run away i am a slaveholder myself i have long been dissatisfied with the system particularly since i have made the bible my criterion for judging of it i am convinced from what i read there slavery is not in accordance with what god delights to honor in his creatures i am altogether opposed to the system and i intend always to use whatever influence i may have against it i feel very bold in speaking against it though living in the midst of it because i am backed by a powerful arm that can overturn and overrule the strongest efforts that the determined friends of slavery are now making for its continuance i sincerely hope that more of mrs stowe's may be found to show up the reality of slavery it needs masterminds to show it as it is that it may rest upon its own merits like mrs stowe i feel that since so many and good people too at the north have quietly consented to leave the slave to his fate by acquiescing in and approving the late measures of the government those who do feel differently should bestir themselves christian effort must do the work and soon it would be done if christians would unite not to destroy the union states but honestly to speak out and speak freely against what they know is wrong they are not aware what countenance they give to slaveholders to hold on to their prey troubled consciences can be easily quieted by the sympathies of pious people particularly when interest and inclination come in as aids i am told there is to be a reply made to uncle tom's cabin entitled uncle tom's cabin as it is i am glad of it investigation is what is wanted you will wonder why this communication is made to you by an unknown it is simply made to encourage your heart and strengthen your determination to persevere and do all you can to put the emancipation of the slave in progress who i am you will never know nor do i wish you to know nor any one else i am a republican
the following facts make the fiction of uncle tom's cabin appear tame in comparison they are from the new york evangelist uncle tom's cabin mr editor i see in your paper that some persons deny the statements of mrs stowe i have read her book every word of it i was born in east tennessee near knoxville and we thought in an enlightened part of the union much favored in our social political and religious privileges etc etc well i think about the year eighteen twenty nine or perhaps twenty eight a good old german methodist owned a black man named robin a methodist preacher and the manager of a farm distillery etc salesman and financier this good old german methodist had a son named willie a schoolmate of mine and as times were a first-rate fellow the old man also owned a keen bright-eyed mulatto girl and willie the naughty boy became enamoured of the poor girl the result was soon discovered and our good german methodist told his brother robin to flog the girl for her wickedness brother robin said he could not and would not perform such an act of cruelty as to flog the girl for what she could not help and for that act of disobedience old robin was flogged by the good old german brother until he could not stand he was carried to bed and some three weeks afterward when my father left the state he was still confined to his bed from the effects of that flogging again in the fall of eighteen thirty six i went south for my health stopped at a village in mississippi and obtained employment in the largest house in the country as a bookkeeper with a firm from louisville kentucky a man residing near the village a bachelor thirty years of age became embarrassed and executed a mortgage to my employer on a fine likely boy weighing about two hundred pounds quick-witted active obedient and remarkably faithful trusty and honest so much so that he was held up as an example he had a wife that he loved his owner cast his eye upon her and she became his paramour the boy remonstrated with his master told him that he tried faithfully to perform his every duty that he was a good and faithful nigger to him and it was hard after he had toiled all day and till ten o'clock at night for him to have his domestic relations broken up and interfered with the white man denied the charge and the wife also denied it one night about the first of september the boy came home earlier than usual say about nine o'clock it was a wet dismal night he made a fire in his cabin went to get his supper and found ocular demonstration of the guilt of his master he became enraged as i suppose any man would seized a butcher knife and cut his master's throat stabbed his wife in twenty-seven places came to the village and knocked at the office door i told him to come in he did so and asked for my employer i called him the boy then told him that he had killed his master and his wife and what for my employer locked him up and he the doctor and myself went out to the house of the old bachelor and found him dead and the boy's wife nearly so she however lived we my employer and myself returned to the village watched the boy until about sunrise left him locked up and went to get our breakfasts intending to take the boy to jail as it was my employer's interest if possible to save the boy having one thousand dollars at stake in him but whilst we were eating some persons who had heard of the murder broke open the door 
took the poor fellow put a log chain round his neck and started him for the woods at the point of the bayonet marching by where we were eating with a great deal of noise my employer hearing it ran out and rescued the boy the mob again broke in and took the boy and marched him as before stated out of town my employer then begged them not to disgrace their town in such a matter but to appoint a jury of twelve sober men to decide what should be done and twelve as sober men as could be found i was not sober said he must be hanged they then tied a rope round his neck and set him on an old horse he made a speech to the mob which i at the time thought if it had come from some senator would have been received with rounds of applause and withal he was more calm than i am now in writing this and after he had told all about the deed and its cause he then kicked the horse out from under him and was launched into eternity my employer has often remarked that he never saw anything more noble in his whole life than the conduct of that boy now mr editor i have given you facts and can give you names and dates you can do what you think is best for the cause of humanity i hope i have seen the evil of my former practices and will endeavor to reform very respectfully james l hill springfield illinois september seventeenth eighteen fifty two the opinion of a southerner given below appeared in the national era published at washington this is an anti-slavery journal but by its generous tone and eminent ability it commands the respect and patronage of many readers in the slave states the following communication comes enclosed in an envelope from louisiana e d e r a the opinion of a southerner to the editor of the national era i have just been reading in the new york observer of the twelfth of august an article from the southern free press headed by an editorial one from the observer that has for its caption progress in the right quarter the editor of the new york observer says that the southern free press has been an able and earnest defender of southern institutions but that he now advocates the passage of a law to prohibit the separation of families and recommends instruction to a portion of slaves that are most honest and faithful the observer further adds quote, it was such language as this that was becoming common before northern fanaticism ruined the prospects of emancipation End quote it is not so northern fanaticism as he calls it has done everything that has been done for bettering the condition of the slave every one who knows anything of slavery for the last thirty years will recollect that about that time since the condition of the slave in louisiana for about louisiana only do i speak because about louisiana only do i know was as depressed and miserable as any of the accounts of the abolitionists that ever i have seen have made it i say abolitionists i mean friends and advocates of freedom in a fair and honorable way if any doubt my assertion let them seek for information let them get the black laws of louisiana and read them let them get facts from individuals of veracity on whose statements they would rely this wretched condition of slaves roused the friends of humanity who like men and christian men came fearlessly forward and told truths indignantly expressing their abhorrence of their oppressors such measures of course brought forth strife which caused the cries of humanity to sound louder and louder throughout the land 
the friends of freedom gained the ascendancy in the hearts of the people and the slaveholders were brought to a stand some through fear of consequences lessened their cruelties while others were made to think that perhaps were not unwilling to do so when it was urged upon them cruelties were not only refrained from but the slaves comforts were increased a retrograde treatment now was not practicable fears of rebellion kept them to it the slave had found friends and they were watchful it was however soon discovered that too many privileges too much leniency and given knowledge would destroy the power to keep down the slave and tend to weaken if not destroy the system accordingly stringent laws had to be passed and a penalty attached to them no one must teach or cause to be taught a slave without incurring the penalty the law was now in force these necessary laws as they are called are all put down to the account of the friends of freedom to their interference i do suppose that they do justly belong to their interference for who that studies the history of the world's transactions does not know that in all contests with power the weak the unsuccessful will be dealt with more rigorously lose not sight however of their former condition law after law has since been passed to draw the cord tighter around the poor slave and all attributed to the abolitionists well anyhow progress is being made here comes out the southern press and makes some honorable concessions he says quotes, the assaults upon slavery made for the last twenty years by the north have increased the evils of it the treatment of slaves has undoubtedly become a delicate and difficult question the south has a great and moral conflict to wage and it is for her to put on the most invulnerable moral panoply he then thinks the availability of slave property would not be injured by passing a law to prohibit the separation of slave families for he says Quote, although cases sometimes occur which we observe are seized by these northern fanatics as characteristic of the system and etc nonsense there are no cases sometimes occurring no such thing they are every day's occurrences though there are families that form the exception and many i would hope that would not do it while i am writing i can call before me three men that were brought here by negro traders from virginia each having left six or seven children with their wives from whom they have never heard one other died here a short time since who left the same number in carolina from whom he had never heard i spent the summer of nineteen forty five in nashville during the month of september six hundred slaves passed through that place in four different gangs for new orleans final destination probably texas a goodly proportion were women young women of course many mothers must have left not only their children but their babies one gang only had a few children i made some excursions to the different watering places around nashville and while at robinson or tyree springs twenty miles from nashville on the borders of kentucky and tennessee my hostess said to me one day yonder comes a gang of slaves chained i went to the roadside and viewed them for the better answering my purpose of observation i stopped the white man in front who was at his ease in a one-horse wagon and asked him if those slaves were for sale i counted them and observed their position 
they were divided by three one-horse wagons each containing a man merchant so arranged as to command the whole gang some were unchained sixty were chained in two companies thirty in each the right hand of one to the left hand of the other opposite one making fifteen each side of a large ox-chain to which every hand was fastened and necessarily compelled to hold up men and women promiscuously and about in equal proportions all young people no children here except a few in a wagon behind which were the only children in the four gangs i said to a respectable mulatto woman in the house is it true that the negro traders take mothers from their babies missus it is true for here last week such a girl who lives about a mile off was taken after dinner knew nothing of it in the morning sold put into the gang and her baby was given away to a neighbor she was a stout young woman and brought a good price the annexation of texas induced the spirited traffic that summer coming down home in a small boat water low a negro trader on board had forty-five men and women crammed into a little spot some handcuffed one respectable-looking man had left a wife and seven children in nashville near memphis the boat stopped at a plantation by previous arrangement to take in thirty more an hour's delay was the stipulated time with the captain of the boat thirty young men and women came down the bank of the mississippi looking wretchedness personified just from the field in appearance dirty disconsolate and depressed some with an old shawl under their arm a few had blankets some had nothing at all looked as though they cared for nothing i calculated while looking at them coming down the bank that i could hold in a bundle all that the whole of them had the short notice that was given them when about to leave was in consequence of the fears entertained that they would slip one side they all looked distressed leaving all that was dear to them behind to be put under the hammer for the property of the highest bidder no children here the whole seventy-five were crammed into a little space on the boat men and women all together i am happy to see that morality is rearing its head with advocates for slavery and that a most invulnerable moral panoply is thought to be necessary i hope it may not prove to be like mr clay's compromises the southern press says as for caricatures of slavery in uncle tom's cabin and the white slave all founded in imaginary circumstances etc we consider them highly incendiary he who undertakes to stir up strife between two individual neighbors by detraction is justly regarded by all men and all moral codes as a criminal then he quotes the ninth commandment and adds but to bear false witness against whole states and millions of people would seem to be a crime as much deeper in turpitude as the mischief is greater and the provocation less in the first place i will put the southern press upon proof that mrs harriet beecher stowe has told one falsehood if she has told truth it is indeed a powerful engine of assault on slavery such as these northern fanatics have made for the last twenty years the number against whom she offends in the editor's opinion seems to increase the turpitude of her crime that is good reasoning i hope the editor will be brought to feel that wholesale wickedness is worse than single-handed and is infinitely harder to reach particularly if of long standing 
it gathers boldness and strength when it is sanctioned by the authority of time and aided by numbers that are interested in supporting it such is slavery and mrs harriet beecher stowe deserves the gratitude of states and millions of people for her talented work in showing it up in its true light she has advocated truth justice and humanity and they will back her efforts her work will be read by states and millions of people and when the southern press attempts to malign her by bringing forward her own avowal that the subject of slavery had been so painful to her that she had abstained from conversing on it for several years and that in his opinion it accounts for the intensity of the venom of her book his really envenomed shafts will fall harmless at her feet for readers will judge for themselves and be very apt to conclude that more venom comes from the southern press than from her she advocates what is right and has a straight road which few get lost on he advocates what is wrong and has consequently to tack concede deny slander and all sorts of things with all due deference to whatever of just principles the southern press may have advanced in favor of the slave i am a poor judge of human nature if i mistake in saying that mrs stowe has done much to draw from him those concessions and the putting forth of this most invulnerable moral panoply that has just come into his head as a bulwark of safety for slavery owes its impetus to her and other like efforts i hope the southern press will not imitate the spoiled child who refuses to eat his pie for spite the white slave i have not seen i guess its character for i made a passage to new york some fourteen or fifteen years since in a package ship with a young woman whose face was enveloped in a profusion of light brown curls and who sat at the table with the passengers all the way as a white woman when at the quarantine staten island the captain received a letter sent by express mail from a person in new orleans claiming her as his slave and threatening the captain with the penalty of the existing law if she was not immediately returned the streaming eyes of the poor unfortunate girl told the truth when the captain reluctantly broke it to her she unhesitatingly confessed that she had run away and that a friend had paid her passage proper measures were taken and she was conveyed to a packet ship that was at sandy hook bound for new orleans uncle tom's cabin i think is a just delineation of slavery the incidents are colored but the position that the slave is made to hold is just i did not read every page of it my object being to ascertain what position the slave occupied i could state a case of whipping to death that would equal uncle tom's still such cases are not very frequent the stirring up of strife between neighbors that the southern press complains of deserves notice who are neighbors the most explicit answer to this question will be found in the reply christ made to the lawyer when he asked it of him another question will arise whether in christ's judgment mrs stowe would be considered a neighbor or an incendiary as the almighty ruler of the universe and the maker of man has said that he has made all the nations of the earth of one blood and man in his own image the black man irrespective of his color would seem to be a neighbor who has fallen among his enemies that have deprived him of the fruits of his labor his liberty his right to his wife and children his right to obtain the knowledge to read or to anything the earth holds dear except such portions of food and raiment as will fit him for his despoiler's purposes 
let not the apologists for slavery bring up the isolated cases of leniency giving instruction and affectionate attachment that are found among some masters as specimens of slavery it is unfair they form exceptions and much do i respect them but they are not the rules of slavery the strife that is being stirred up is not to take away anything that belongs to another neither their silver or gold their fine linen or purple their houses or land their horses or cattle or anything that is their property but to rescue a neighbor from their unmanly cupidity signed a republican no introduction is necessary to explain the following correspondence and no commendation will be required to secure for it a respectful attention from thinking readers washington city d c december sixth eighteen fifty two d r goodloe esq dear sir i understand that you are a north carolinian and have always resided in the south you must consequently be acquainted with the workings of the institution of slavery you have doubtless also read that world-renowned book uncle tom's cabin by mrs stowe the apologists for slavery deny that this book is a truthful picture of slavery they say that its representations are exaggerated its scenes and incidents unfounded and in a word that the whole book is a caricature they also deny that families are separated that children are sold from their parents wives from their husbands etc under these circumstances i am induced to ask your opinion of mrs stowe's book and whether or not in your opinion her statements are entitled to credit i have the honor to be yours truly a m gangewer washington december eighth eighteen fifty two dear sir your letter of the sixth instance asking my opinion of uncle tom's cabin has been received and there being no reason why i should withhold it unless it be the fear of public opinion your object being as i understand the publication of my reply i proceed to give it in some detail a book of fiction to be worth reading must necessarily be filled with rare and striking incidents and the leading characters must be remarkable some for great virtues others perhaps for great vices or follies a narrative of the ordinary events in the lives of commonplace people would be insufferably dull and insipid and a book made up of such materials would be to the elegant and graphic pictures of life and manners which we have in the writing of sir walter scott and dickens what a surveyor's plot of a ten-acre field is to a painted landscape in which the eye is charmed by a thousand varieties of hill and dale of green shrubbery and transparent water of light and shade at a glance in order to determine whether a novel is a fair picture of society it is not necessary to ask if its chief personages are to be met with every day but whether they are characteristic of the times and the country whether they embody the prevalent sentiments virtues vices follies and peculiarities and whether the events tragic or otherwise are such as may and do occasionally occur judging uncle tom's cabin by these principles i have no hesitation in saying that it is a faithful portraiture of southern life and institutions there is nothing in the book inconsistent with the laws and usages of the slaveholding states the virtues vices and peculiar hues of character and manners are all southern and must be recognized at once by every one who reads the book 
i may never have seen such depravity in one man as that exhibited in the character of legree though i have ten thousand times witnessed the various shades of it in different individuals on the other hand i have never seen so many perfections concentrated in one human being as mrs stowe has conferred upon the daughter of a slaveholder evangeline is an image of beauty and goodness which can never be effaced from the mind whatever may be its prejudices yet her whole character is fragrant of the south her generous sympathy her beauty and delicacy her sensibility are all southern they are to the manner born and embodying as they do the southern ideal of beauty and loveliness cannot be ostracized from southern hearts even by the power of the vigilance committees the character of st clair cannot fail to inspire love and admiration he is the beau ideal of a southern gentleman honorable generous and humane of accomplished manners liberal education and easy fortune in his treatment of the slaves he errs on the side of lenity rather than vigor and is always their kind protector from a natural impulse of goodness without much reflection upon what may befall them when death or misfortune shall deprive them of his friendship mr shelby the original owner of uncle tom and who sells him to a trader from the pressure of a sort of pecuniary necessity is by no means a bad character his wife and son are whatever honor and humanity could wish and in a word the only white persons who make any considerable figure in the book to a disadvantage are the villain legree who is a vermonter by birth and the oily-tongued slave-trader haley who has the accent of a northerner it is therefore evident that mrs stowe's object in writing uncle tom's cabin has not been to disparage southern character a careful analysis of the book would authorize the opposite inference that she has studied to shield the southern people from opprobrium and even to convey an elevated idea of southern society at the moment of exposing the evils of the system of slavery she directs her batteries against the institution not against individuals and generously makes a renegade vermonter stand for her most hideous picture of a brutal tyrant invidious as the duty may be i cannot withhold my testimony to the fact that families of slaves are often separated i know not how any man can have the hardihood to deny it the thing is notorious and is often the subject of painful remark in the southern states i have often heard the practice of separating husband and wife parent and child defended apologized for palliated in a thousand ways but have never heard it denied how could it be denied in fact when probably the very circumstance which elicited the conversation was a case of cruel separation then transpiring no sir the denial of this fact by mercenary scribers may deceive persons at a distance but it can impose upon no one at the south in all the slaveholding states the relation of matrimony between slaves or between a slave and free person is merely voluntary there is no law sanctioning it or recognizing it in any shape directly or indirectly in a word it is illicit and binds no one neither the slaves themselves nor their masters in separating husband and wife or parent and child the trader or owner violates no law of the state neither statute nor common law he buys or sells at auction or privately that which the majesty of the law has declared to be property 
the victims may writhe in agony and the tender-hearted spectator may look on with gloomy sorrow and indignation but it is to no purpose the promptings of mercy and justice in the heart are only in rebellion against the law of the land the law itself not unfrequently performs the most cruel separations of families almost without the intervention of individual agency this happens in the case of persons who die insolvent or who become so during life the estate real and personal must be disposed of at auction to the highest bidder and the executor administrator sheriff trustee or other person whose duty it is to dispose of the property although he may possess the most humane intentions in the world cannot prevent the final severance of the most endearing ties of kindred the illustration given by mrs stowe in the sale of uncle tom by mr shelby is a very common case pecuniary embarrassment is a most fruitful source of misfortune to the slave as well as the master and instances of family ties broken from this cause are of daily occurrence it often happens that great abuses exist in violation of law and in spite of the efforts of the authorities to suppress them such is the case with drunkenness gambling and other vices but here is a law common to all slaveholding states which upholds and gives countenance to the wrongdoer while its blackest terrors are reserved for those who would interpose to protect the innocent statesmen of elevated and honorable character from a vague notion of state necessity have defended this law in the abstract while they would without hesitation condemn every instance of its application as unjust in one respect i am glad to see it publicly denied that the families of slaves are separated for while it argues a disreputable want of candor it at the same time evinces a commendable sense of shame and induces the hope that the public opinion at the south will not much longer tolerate this most odious though not essential part of the system of slavery in this connection i will call to your recollection a remark of the editor of the southern press in one of the last numbers of that paper which acknowledges the existence of the abuse in question and recommends its correction he says quote, the south has a great moral conflict to wage and it is for her to put on the most invulnerable moral panoply hence it is her duty as well as interest to mitigate or remove whatever of evil that results incidentally from the institution the separation of husband and wife parent and child is one of those evils which we know is generally avoided and repudiated there although cases sometimes occur which we observe are seized by these northern fanatics as characteristic illustrations of the system now we can see no great evil or inconvenience but much good in the prohibition by law of such occurrences let the husband and wife be sold together and the parents and minor children such a law would affect but slightly the general value or availability of slave property and would prevent in some cases the violence done to the feelings of such connections by sales either compulsory or voluntary we are satisfied that it would be beneficial to the master and slave to promote marriage and the observance of all its duties and relations much as i have differed with the editor of the southern press in his general views of public policy i am disposed to forgive him past errors in consideration of his public acknowledgment of this incidental evil and his frank recommendation of its removal 
a southern newspaper less devoted than the southern press to the maintenance of slavery would be seriously compromised by such a suggestion and its advice would be far less likely to be heeded i think therefore that mr fisher deserves the thanks of every good man north and south for thus boldly pointing out the necessity of reform the picture which mrs stowe has drawn of slavery as an institution is anything but favorable she has illustrated the frightful cruelty and oppression that must result from a law which gives to one class of society almost absolute and irresponsible power over another yet the very machinery she has employed for this purpose shows that all who are parties to the system are not necessarily culpable it is a high virtue in st clair to purchase uncle tom he is actuated by no selfish or improper motive moved by a desire to gratify his daughter and prompted by his own humane feelings he purchases a slave in order to rescue him from a hard fate on the plantations if he had not been a slaveholder before it was now his duty to become one this i think is the moral to be drawn from the story of st clair and the South has a right to claim the authority of Mrs. Stowe in defense of slaveholding to this extent. It may be said that it was the duty of St. Clair to emancipate Uncle Tom, but the wealth of the Rothschilds would not enable a man to act out his benevolent instincts at such a price, and if such was his duty, is it not equally the duty of every moneyed man in the free states to attend the New Orleans slave mart with the same benevolent purpose in view? it seems to me that to purchase a slave with the purpose of saving him from a hard and cruel fate and without any view to emancipation is itself a good action if the slave should subsequently be able to redeem himself it would doubtless be the duty of the owner to emancipate him and it would be but even-handed justice to set down every dollar of the slave's earnings above the expenses of his maintenance to his credit until the price paid for him should be fully restored this is all that justice could exact from the slaveholder. Those who have railed against Uncle Tom's Cabin as an incendiary publication have singularly, supposing that they have read the book, overlooked the moral of the hero's life. Uncle Tom is the most faithful of servants. He literally obeyed in all things his masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart fearing God if his conduct exhibits the slightest departure from a literal fulfilment of this injuncture of scripture it is in a case which must command the approbation of the most rigid casuist for the injunction of obedience extends of course only to lawful commands it is only when the monster legree commands him to inflict undeserved chastisement upon his fellow-servants that uncle tom refuses obedience he would not listen to a proposition of escaping into ohio with the young woman eliza on the night after they were sold by mr shelby to the trader haley he thought it would be bad faith to his late master whom he had nursed in his arms and might be the means of bringing him into difficulty he offered no resistance to haley and obeyed even legree in every legitimate command but when he was required to be the instrument of his master's cruelty he chose rather to die with the courage and resolution of a christian martyr than to save his life by a guilty compliance such was uncle tom not a bad example for the imitation of man or master i am sir very respectfully your obedient servant daniel r goodloe 
a m gangewer esq washington d c the writer has received permission to publish the following extract from a letter received by a lady at the north from the editor of a southern paper the mind and character of the author will speak for themselves in the reading of it charleston sunday twenty fifth july eighteen fifty two the books i infer are mrs beecher stowe's uncle tom's cabin the book was furnished me by blank about a fortnight ago and you may have assured that i read it with an attentive interest now what is your opinion of it you will ask and knowing my preconceived opinions upon the question of slavery and the embodiment of my principles which i have so long supported in regard to that peculiar institution you may be prepared to meet an indirect answer this my unconsciousness of truth would not allow in the present instance the book is a truthful picture of life with the dark outlines beautifully portrayed the life the characteristics incidents and the dialogues is life itself reduced to paper in her appendix she rather evades the question whether it was taken from actual scones but says there are many counterparts in this she is correct beyond doubt had she changed the picture of legree on red river for blank on blank island south carolina she could not have drawn a more admirable portrait i am led to question whether she had not some knowledge of this beast as he is known to be and made the transposition for effect my position in connection with the extreme party both in georgia and south carolina would constitute a restraint to the full expression of my feelings upon several of the governing principles of the institution i have studied slavery in all its different phases have been thrown in contact with the negro in different parts of the world and made it my aim to study his nature so far as my limited abilities would give me light and whatever my opinions have been they were based upon what i supposed to be honest convictions during the last three years you well know what my opportunities have been to examine all the sectional bearings of an institution which now holds the great and most momentous question of our federal well-being these opportunities i have not let pass but have given myself body and soul to a knowledge of its vast intricacies to its constitutional compact and its individual hardships its wrongs are in the constituted rights of the master and the blank letter of those laws which pretend to govern the bondsman's rights what legislative act based upon the construction of self-protection for the very men who contemplate the laws even though their intention was amelioration could be enforced when the legislated object is held as the bond property of the legislator the very fact of constituting a law for the amelioration of property becomes an absurdity so far as carrying it out is concerned a law which is intended to govern and gives the governed no means of seeking its protection is like the clustering together of so many useless words for vain show but why talk of law that which is considered the popular rights of a people and every tenacious prejudice set forth to protect its property interest creates its own power against every weaker vessel laws which interfere with this become unpopular repugnant to a forcible will and a dead letter in effect so long as the voice of the governed cannot be heard and his wrongs are felt beyond jurisdiction or domain of the law as nine-tenths are where is the hope of redress 
the master is the powerful vessel the negro feels his dependence and fearing the consequences of an appeal for his rights submits to the cruelty of his master in preference to the dread of something even more cruel it is in those disputed cases of cruelty we find the wrongs of slavery and in those governing laws which give power to bad northern men to become the most cruel taskmasters do not judge from my observations that i am seeking consolation for the abolitionists such is not my intention but truth to a course which calls loudly for reformation constrains me to say that humanity calls for some law to govern the force and absolute will of the master and to reform no part is more requisite than that which regards the slave's food and raiment a person must live years at the south before he can become fully acquainted with the many workings of slavery a northern man not prominently interested in the political and social wheel of the south may live for years in it and pass from town to town in his everyday pursuits and yet see but the polished side of slavery with me it has been different its effect upon the negro himself and its effect upon the social and commercial well-being of southern society has been laid broadly open to me and i have seen more of its workings within the past year than was disclosed to me all the time before it is with these feelings that i am constrained to do credit to mrs stowe's book which i consider must have been written by one who derived the materials from a thorough acquaintance with the subject the character of the slave dealer the bankrupt owner in kentucky and the new orleans merchant are simply everyday occurrences in these parts editors may speak of the dramatic effect as they please the tale is not told them and the occurrences of common reality would form a picture more glaring i could write a work with date and incontrovertible facts of abuses which stand recorded in the knowledge of the community in which they were transacted that would need no dramatic effect and would stand out tenfold more horrible than anything mrs stowe has described i have read two columns in the southern press of mrs eastman's aunt phyllis's cabin or southern life as it is with the remarks of the editor i have no comments to make upon it that being done by itself the editor might have saved himself being writ down an ass by the public if he had withheld his nonsense if the two columns are a specimen of mrs eastman's book i pity her attempt and her name as an author End of Part 1, Chapter 14, The Spirit of St. Clair End of Part 1